Yes. It is very, very scary. And it is prevalent this spooky season. Anyway, today we're talking about a scary, scary topic. Yes, we are. We're talking about cultural appropriation. Yes, it is a scary topic. And we have a wonderful guest here today to shed some light on cultural appropriation. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. So, um, my name is Zoe, and I'm a senior on campus, majoring in Afro-American and African Studies. So, I'm also on the executive board of the Black Student Union as Political Action Concerns Chair. And if you guys want to follow me on my socials, my IG is casually conceited, spelled the way it sounds. All right, we're going to jump into it with our first question. What is cultural appropriation, and what does it mean? So, my definition is... Um, essentially certain aspects or traits of a culture taken on by usually a dominant group, and they are then praised for that, whereas the originators are shamed for having that. I think that pretty much sums it up. Mostly how I look at it is the idea of when other people usurp something that isn't theirs in the first place, and then a lot of times they end up benefiting from... The usurpation. Give a a definition of usurp for our people who don't have a large vernacular, aka vocabulary. Um, (laughs) it's like to overtake. Thank you. To like undermine and overtake. I feel like an important part too is like it's often mocked for the people who do it. Yeah. Or the people whose culture it belongs to. But then when these groups of people wear it, so like on Halloween. We see a lot of cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why we're doing this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully this helps people to kind of gauge if their costume or their friends' costumes or the people around them are wearing the right things. Call your mm-hmm. people out. That's what we're saying. Call them out. <laughs> Please call them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the next question would be in regards to this is how does um, it work against your community? So for me... I'm a black woman on campus. Yes, go on. And off. we love that, exactly. <laughs> but um, the way I see cultural appropriation is when I would see um, non-black women wearing, like, box braids or locks or, I don't know, like, every, every race has worn or wears extensions. Black women usually call it weave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the attitudes, like, if a white woman is wearing a sew-in, she's immediately looked at as like, oh, that's her hair. But if a mm-hmm. black woman is wearing a sew-in, oh, she hates herself. She doesn't mm-hmm. love herself. Like, why can't you just love yourself? Whereas, let's say a black woman wears box braids. Oh, how do you take care of your hair? It's not professional. Mm-hmm. Let a white woman or a non-black person wear box braids and go to Paris Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a whole trend now. Speak on it. <laughs> We love the boxer braids. We love it. The what is it called? What was that one white woman who popularized popularized air oh, quotes bo- here? The Boderic yep, braids. Boderic braids. Yeah. Love those. <laughs> or even locks when yeah. it's literally not made for looser hair textures. It reinforces the constant shaming and criticism of um, black people when they just exist mm-hmm. with their culture. And realistically, people love. People love black culture, but they don't love black people. Mm -hmm. People love to be Mm black-ish, but they don't want to be black. 
Do you want to speak more on like that the proximity to blackness or like non-black people will never be black, mm-hmm. so they will never experience life as a black person, but mm-hmm. they can still exist in a culture that is like over saturated with blackness Mm -hmm. honestly like a culture that runs off of blackness yeah like any dances that you may see now it's probably been in the black communities for a few years like allegedly miley cyrus invented twerking oh honey that's been happening that's been here or when white people got caught up on the woe We've been doing that. Y'all are just late to the trends. So black culture is essentially, it becomes mainstream. But nobody wants to give credit where credit is due. Or they act like they are the originators when they are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like the idea of being cool, being accepted. People adhere to like trends created by black people. <laughs> and they don't care about those people the idea of we can take your culture and we can mm-hmm. use these different things to make ourselves seem more mm-hmm. cool or more palatable or more cultured it, or whatever yeah. but not actually under like not actually care about the like issues that you face yeah like no we're not going to talk about mass incarceration for your community no we're not going to talk about the mass shootings that yes happen against black men but also black women are resoundingly harmed in like shootings mm. And no one knows, no one talks about it. No mm-hmm. one pays attention to it. Um, or even like black children. Mm-hmm. You see white kids out here that quote unquote talk ghetto when it's really like they're just using, I don't know, depending on who you are, Ebonics, African American vernacular English, mm-hmm. um, to seem cool. Yeah. When like, there are literally black people who talk like that yeah who are shamed for it or like oh you're uneducated um so i have a few examples of cultural appropriation in like current day media in like society Mm. first one was how kim kardashian launched her like brand right and it was supposed to be named kimono but then the mayor of tokyo um like went after her basically um and so she renamed it to skims which is like good for her at least she renamed it we have a lot we got a bare minimum here um but it's like it's like things like this that even like really famous people are doing and we're not like i mean enough people questioned her on her her profile but it's still the fact that she went out and did it without checking herself first if you can culturally appropriate and then you just you're not called out by it or you don't receive serious backlash Mm. nine times out of ten because you have the privilege to transition (laughs) through all these cultures that a isn't afforded to black folk and b if it is it's usually like fairer skinned passing or the quote unquote racially ambiguous black people Mm -hmm. um like even myself i i think i look black like (laughs) mixed with what black but (laughs) i will say that there have been numerous times where, like, someone has tried to put me in that box of, like, oh, you're pretty. You have pretty eyes. You have nice hair. So what are you mixed with? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, trying to even push me away from blackness. Mm-hmm. That when that's what I am, like, my family came from the Great Migration. I can trace my ancestry back to, like, essentially slavery. It's mm-hmm. like, I know I'm black. Maybe mixed with white because I'm um, slavery. But <laughs> I'm slavery. point being... I'm black. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it kind of brings into that question of like the proximity to blackness and how you can essentially benefit yeah. the farther you are away from it. 
Yeah, and I think that they they have definitely been benefiting from blackness for years, and I think that their cultural appropriation is definitely like an amalgamation of who they're partnered with a lot of the times. It just bothers me because they move culture in so many different ways, Mm -hmm. and they they altered them altered themselves to look more like black women. Mm -hmm. It's not cultural appropriation, but also it's like it's honor related note because it is that idea of just idolizing certain features and taking on certain features of a culture without actually liking those people. Um, So what you said about the Kardashian clan, essentially taking on features that are stereotypically associated with black women, like um, big butts or like a curvy figure, um, big lips and things like that. So do you don't think that I I don't brand, you don't think that's cultural appropriation? I want to say, well, is that along like, the sexualization of different cultures. Yeah, I would want to say more so sexualizing. Okay. So you don't think them altering themselves to be black women is cultural appropriation? I want to say no, because a body type doesn't belong to any culture. Mm. Just like hair types don't necessarily belong to any culture. Like, there can be black people born with straight hair. There can be mm-hmm. black people born with straight hair, blonde hair, blue eyes. That is not culturally appropriating white people or white culture, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a common insult you see when a black woman is wearing a blonde weave and a white person says, oh, well, you're culturally appropriating my culture. Um, But we don't have to get into that. So (laughs) but when it comes to like body types, there's so many people who can have various body types. For Mm -hmm. example, um, it's really a matter of who do we find? It's it's more so a discussion of desirability at that point. Because a black woman, unless she's dark skinned and has a very curvaceous figure like Bernice Burgos, I think her name is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then unless you're that type of character that is easily sexualized, then you might be looked at as like being shamed for your body or Mm -hmm. hypersexual in the wrong ways Mm -hmm. where you can't necessarily profit profit off of your assets. Mm. (laughs) Um, But with the Kardashians, it's like because they aren't black that also makes them more desirable Mm -hmm. and then when they do have figures and like features of black people of black women especially Mm -hmm. because it's them and they're not black it's seen as looking good on them Mm -hmm. which kind of brings up the idea of like non-black people trying to or thinking that my blackness my culture looks better on them than it does on me how does someone determine what is cultural appropriation versus like, so in this this idea of, like, picking and choosing parts of someone's body, right, and then, like, doing that, and then that's not cultural appropriation, but when does it become cultural appropriation? I would say when it's inherent to the culture. So, okay. like, black women, our hair. Um, our hair is a very sensitive subject, complex subject. I don't know yeah, how to exactly yeah. phrase it, um, but it is... Nuanced, maybe. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. But, um, so for a brief history lesson, under slavery... Black women, first, when they got on slave ships, all black people had their heads shaved. So, force of control by white supremacy. Two, under slavery, um, black women were essentially forced to cover their hair or had to resort to, like, desperate means to take care of their hair. Usually, like, putting a whole bunch of grease on it to try to, like, comb through it and make it manageable. And after that, even in Africa, black women's hair and to this day, their hair is still a very important part of their culture. So essentially getting that stripped during slavery 
and then having to rebuild that culture um, throughout slavery, which is how you have African-American culture. Box braids, for example, it's very important to, I would say, for most black women, it's a protective style, but it's also something where if you go to a workplace, it's seen as unprofessional. If you were to tell a non-black person, like, oh, you're not able to wash your hair, like, every day or, like, maybe every week, they might look at you and be like, oh, you're dirty then. Um, or even with locks, there is a certain, in certain communities, there is a negative connotation relating to dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, in certain aspects of the black community, too. But oh, definitely. Definitely. And it does also come into the idea of, oh, it's not professional. But you could argue what is seen as professional. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or it's, it's seen as dirty, again. But if it's a non-black person doing it, the tune changes. And it's a noticeable change. For example, so there's an influencer on Instagram called Nikita Dragon. And she wore box braids for, like, I think it was one of the fashion weeks. And before she, she already had a pre-filmed apology because she knew she was going to get backlash. And she said, oh, I just want to pay homage to all my black women. (laughs) And it's like, you knew you were wrong, sis, but she still got praised. It was considered a fashion statement, but when black women or black children go wearing their hair the way it is or in protective styles, they can't go to school. They get fired from a job. Like, it's that type of dichotomy, and I would say it has to be, like, relevant to that culture and have an aspect where they are shamed for Mm -hmm. because it's their culture. And so it's either you have to choose to be socially acceptable, oh. a.k.a. adhere to whiteness and Eurocentric beauty standards, yeah. or be with your culture, but also continue to face that oppression that is going to inherently come with your culture in a predominantly white society. And I guess this kind of like goes back to this kind of, you talked about her and like as an Instagram influence, influencer, and so I think... Now, since we're in this digital age, there's Who's this delay? thing called <laughs> digital blackface. Or blackfishing like, is something well, yeah, that too. Like to call it. Um, well, like digital blackface in the fa- in terms of um, like GIFs, GIFs, whichever TikToks. one, whatever one you want. I guess TikTok could do it too. But like the yeah. idea of like using like black women within like mm-hmm. your, I guess your GIF, GIF live, just mm-hmm. using like black women in the things that we do in like from pop culture or whatever mm-hmm. but like not having proximity to that and that kind of like goes back to the whole like what's her name nikita nikita Tr- dragon yeah goes back to that and then i mean you can talk a I think, bit more about that too well i think that's so nuanced in people's lives like people are so quick to just like send these gifts and like send these emojis that are like of black women and not even like thinking twice about how that's actually mm-hmm. not okay in some senses or in most senses i guess and i think i i think that's like a level of checking yourself that we haven't even gotten to yet mm-hmm. because it's so everything is just so fast on digital media mm-hmm. i'm wondering how we can like peel back and check ourselves mm-hmm. when we're making these decisions and like kind of, this is like pulling it all the way back to like thinking about where everything is coming from and why they are the way mm-hmm. that things are like why people are being oppressed why people are marginalized like why mm-hmm. things are not okay why it's cultural appropriation mm-hmm. um, and I guess like what's the most relatable way that we can do that in a way that's not like taxing like I know a lot of pushback especially for Halloween is like oh why are you taking the fun out of things but like how do you even respond to that when people have that immediate reaction? See, 
there were a lot of things in this country that were once considered fun that are no longer acceptable. Yeah. Like <laughs> making a spectacle of, okay, this is going to get really dark. Oh, gosh. Making a spectacle of um, lynchings. Yeah. They were a family event. Yeah, they were. People would go have picnics around a dead black body. Yeah. That was once seen as fun. It's no longer socially acceptable. If anything, it's you know, allegedly outlawed. You could argue that lynching still happened without the rope, but... Um, the point is a lot of things were seen as fun until people actually had to start changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that, I would say like on one hand, it should just be, oh, if this is from a culture that you know nothing about, that you are not related to, you're not even paying like respects to that culture in a certain space, then you shouldn't do it. But there is a lack of education and a lot of people are ignorant and they also do not want to educate themselves yeah. or they have the privilege to play a bl- to pay a blind eye to those issues, um, which is how you get that rhetoric of, oh, well, this is fun for me. So why can't I dress up as, I don't know, Cleopatra mm-hmm. as a white woman? Um, so I just have like a follow up question to like Halloween and cultural appropriation, because I feel like recently we've seen I mean, this has always been happening a lot of like just people in general culturally appropriating other cultures for Halloween. But like we've seen like with the whole Justin Trudeau thing and then mm-hmm. like the Virginia governor. And then now there's like I don't know, people are debating whether or not like how much like forgiveness, quote unquote, to like give these people mm-hmm. or like how much to move on. And like I'm of the opinion that like. I don't know that like these things like can't be ignored and they shouldn't be moved on from. But like, I guess like what do others think about like how like what is like that scale of quote unquote like forgiveness, I guess. And Monica, could you explain the Justin Trudeau thing and Northern or Northern Virginia? Um, so I think like a few weeks ago, um, it came out that Justin Trudeau, like in the early 2000s, um, did brownface and blackface like multiple times not just one time mm-hmm. um and then last year i think or a year and a half ago the virginia governor northam it came out that in like the yearbook pictures he did blackface twice i think um and so there were calls for him to resign um but it never came to fruition and same thing with like trudeau like going up into election season in canada but i think what a lot of the conversation has like been also bringing up is that these two politicians have not been, like, the best figures in general and that people should have been, like, looking out to see that, like, they weren't the best, like, way before the, like, truth of what they did, like, when they were younger um, came to light. Like, at the end of the day, blackface is blackface is blackface is blackface. And, like, the idea that you participated in such a, like, Mm -hmm. history of something so heinous is, like, I don't understand how people... How am I? I'm just supposed to overlook that because you want to be in office or whatever, mm-hmm. like that. That yeah. makes no sense. So, mm-hmm. and regardless if you thought it was funny or not, like you have no type. Like you, obviously, you know the cultural impacts of blackface. So I really don't have anything for people who are just like, oh, I did it when I was like 19. Like you knew the cultural impacts. I'm not gonna forget people who do blackface. Can we be honest with ourselves and actually consider, do people truly know the ramifications? Like, at least in the American education system, do people truly know the impact Are you impact saying are they of, educated like, enough yeah, to know? Like, are they educated enough to know within okay. the American education I'll, I'll, system? I'll give you that. I mean, I, I, want, I mean, yes, it is fair to assume because, you know, you're black, I'm, like, you understand it, but also... American education system is trash. I'm, and that's not... I'm grimacing over here. I know, I know, I know. And that's not to 
That's not to like give them the benefit of the doubt because no, fuck that. But it is to say that you should take that initiative to educate yourself and maybe start acknowledging like, okay, what faces aren't in the room? What have I not been learning about? Who do I not know about? Because there's so many people in this country who walk around and they don't even know the world outside of the USA. And that's just a larger problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling right here. I'm just like, I get that. And I do understand that mm-hmm. our education is fucked up, especially when it comes to anyone outside of the realm of whiteness. But at the same time, I just think if you're at a certain age, like, you know what the fuck blackface is. Like, I, that's just like, I, I'm sorry, but like, that's me. Like, you'd be surprised. There's even <sighs> fairer skinned black people who have done it before. And by before, I mean, like, within the past year especially on social media and like i said that isn't to be like oh benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. but that is to say that there are a lot of culturally ignorant people who are very uneducated even if they went to harvard and have a jd or a phd so would you give these people in the media the benefit of the doubt oh hell no i think everyone (laughs) should be held accountable but i also think that like you you should be held accountable but we shouldn't expect like oh you should just know better because I'm sorry, that's just too high of expectations for non-black people for me to have. Realistically, you should know that it's wrong. So you're you saying... You should know it's wrong. So basically, like, just a But re- I don't have that expectation. Re-evaluation of your expectations around... Yeah. Around people and, like, their cultural knowledge. Yeah. And kind of drawing attention to the fact that it's, like, a systematic problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's my gotcha, point. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, like, I'm on the same page with you, but I just don't expect people to know better because it's, like, at the end of the day... If you were raised in a dominant culture or a culture that is praised by white people or a culture that can easily assimilate to whiteness, then you're not going to be faced with the same experiences I have. You're not going to understand. You're not going to have the same politics as me. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you will not understand every single thing about blackness and black culture, whereas I live in a white society. So I know every single thing about white culture that I don't want to know. Um, (laughs) but here we are (laughs) and I have to deal with that. Even as recently as I want to say 2013 slash 2014, that school year, um, hashtag BBUM being black at the university of Michigan. One of the things that kind of, one of the thing, one of the events that really like aggravated and like started that amongst black students was a certain fraternity hosted a hip-hop party, I believe, and (laughs) guests arrived in blackface. The whole invite for the event itself was very much encouraging blackface. Um, Not explicitly saying, oh, dress your face, like wear Mm -hmm. black paint or brown paint, but just racially charged language, like, oh, come in your most ghettoist attire, um, be the true gangster rapper you wanted to be. Things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and so just to give that clarity of, it's not something that happened in the 90s. Yeah. And people had fun with it. In the early 2000s, people had fun with it. But also as far as like, I can't do mental math, five years ago, where <laughs> people um, essentially had a whole party with blackface as the theme. And then you had a whole like, social media movement that garnered national attention because of this but also because of many other reasons Mm -hmm. that were very aggravating to that community yeah so i found this 
article on USA Today, not to be like a rule for how to do things, but more of like, let's see what we think about this. So they say the three S's for knowing about cultural appropriation in a, com in a costume is think about the source first, the significance or sacredness, and the similarity. We've like talked about blackface a lot. We're like pretty pretty standard on saying don't do that yeah. um, <laughs> at this <laughs> university, um, at, at any university or for anyone. Um, but there's a lot of middle ground with a lot of costumes. So like the Moana costume um, is controversial in that like some of the costumes for Maui we have like brown skin with the tattoos so some quite parents are like okay but this is like a sold costume by disney like what do i do for my kid when it comes to like kids and costumes and things like that especially like white kids like they have so many people to play or to dress up as mm -hmm. you know um and it's like why can't we just pick one of those people or like if your kid wants to like, if your kid really, really loves Moana, like, you don't have to be, a, like... I mean, there are other ways to like Moana than to culturally appropriate that costume. I don't I don't know how to kind of formulate it. I also think a lot of times, and this is just from my experience, mm -hmm. the problem isn't necessarily dressing up as the character, because mm -hmm. the character is beloved, like, people understand right. that, mm -hmm. and... Um, like costumes for the movies are usually very, especially Disney, you're looking at very like obviously like this is from a Disney movie. It's when people start adding like the skin paint yeah. and like start yeah. adding things that are, you can be Moana without painting yourself brown. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's what I was getting. And I think, <laughs> I think that goes for also at. like any character or any celebrity. You can be Beyonce without painting your face yeah. brown. Yeah. You can be Nicki Minaj or like whomever without painting your face a different color. <laughs> And actually, can we go back to the three S's? Because I want to add another S to it, setting. Um, and so the context that I'm going to bring this up is there's this thing called an arangadrum in Indian culture, Hindu culture. Um, it's like your dance graduation. You, It's the first time you perform solo, and you basically invite everybody you know because it's a big deal. Now, a lot of times, my friends when they're having their orangism, have asked their friends who are not Indian to dress up in Indian clothing because it's respectful for the ceremony. Um, some people do, some people don't. But the fact of the matter is it's okay that they did because they were asked to, and when you're wearing it in that setting, it's respectful. At the same time, um, I don't remember which celebrity this is, but there is a celebrity that recently like um, promoted her new album and she was wearing a traditional Vietnamese costume but she was not wearing the pants and then the headdress and like all the like head stuff was like Indian jewelry so it was mixing cultures it was wearing a traditional dress but it was sexualizing the outfit and therefore kind of sexualizing like the source and so that setting was not appropriate and so it just it shows like a fundamental disrespect for all of the cultures because mm -hmm. um, you're mixing them and just completely taking them out of context messy 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 all right so i have one last question that, that I, I think people might argue on this side too so what if this is appreciation so what's the line between cultural appropriation and appreciation are you celebrating yourself or are you celebrating where it came from <laughs> oh well mm. call it out <laughs> I, I think that's it. Well, I, I just like, I have, so I know at Coachella, people will wear like bindis and stuff. And bindis are also very situational. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't it do annoys it. me very much. Yeah, I mean, like people, but there was this whole side arguing that like bindis are fashion in India too. And like bindis are fashion in India, but for a reason. They've It's like come from these spiritual reasonings of wearing it. So when... Mm -hmm. A bunch of kids are wearing it at Coachella, and then kids at school who maybe are wearing bindis because that's what they believe um, are getting made fun of. Like, where's the where's the line there? It's it's not yours, so don't take it. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like a general rule of thumb is if you are unsure, don't do it. Yes. Yeah. And if you are not unsure, ask yourself, am I really not unsure? But also, like, like why are you doing it? Like, investigate mm-hmm. that within yourself. Like, well, let's say it's for Halloween. So the no. reasoning is Halloween. But so we, then you're saying someone else's culture is a costume. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's not okay. Now, if you were wearing a bindi on a costume because you wanted to be like Rani of Jhansi, that's different. Because you're now, like, you want to be a specific historical figure. If you're dressing up Indian clothing, that makes sense. And that's fine as long as you're not, like, painting yourself brown. It's weird when it's an aspect of a culture versus, like, an actual person. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. like, you know, we did mention celebrities or even cartoon characters, which is fine. So long as you're not changing the color of your skin, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> but it's weird when you want to be something like a generic. Well, it's like labeled as a generic air quotes here character things like that where it's not a specific person or a specific mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. but it is an idea of something yeah. or even like i don't know a video vixen and then you automatically assume that most video vixens are black women <laughs> it's things like that where it's just yeah. like why are you doing this it's a little weird it's very distasteful <laughs> um it shows <laughs> your bias <laughs> I, I don't know. I just never understood the fascination with someone else's culture that isn't yours. All right. Bottom line of this episode <laughs> is question what you're picking, the reasons you're picking it, and who you're picking it for. Yeah. Stay educated. <laughs> and the context of where you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Unless it's changing the color of your skin because the answer is never. <laughs> don't yeah. do that. Ever. <laughs> never acceptable. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank We're you. We're going to wrap up this episode with our creative of color, so stay tuned for that. Hi, um, my name is Victoria Briones. I'm a third-year dance major at the University of Michigan. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I identify as a queer Filipina, Korean, second generation American. Um, and I've been dancing my whole life. My relationship to dance has always been changing. Um, right now it's kind of a way for me to, um, have difficult conversations without the restrictions of standard language. So what type of conversations do you like have throughout your dances? Um, so probably one of the first ones I had was about representation. Um, I grew up in a pretty conservative, white-dominated, heteronormative ballet studio in the South. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I started seeing that I wasn't represented, not only in class, but in the performances that I was doing, like the Nutcracker, um, there are obviously really problematic stereotypes in that performance that I was doing every year. Um, I started to kind of talk to people and be like this isn't okay Mm -hmm. what kind of what kind of reactions did you get to that when you said stuff like that um it depended on who I was talking to um there weren't a lot of people of color for me to talk to back home but once I came to Michigan um I found more people like me and we were able to come together and start making changes when you're dancing, I know that art functions for a lot of people in different ways, but, like, what does dance function as, like, for you? 
many things. <laughs> dance is kind of like my whole life. It's like a way to stay physically balanced, spiritually balanced. Um, lately, it's been a lot of emotional balancing. It's been a, a way for me to heal in many ways. Um, sometimes just locking myself in a studio at like midnight and dancing with no music and the curtains drawn over the mirrors can be like the most therapeutic thing ever. Um, what's your favorite piece that you've done or created? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, well, it's not done yet, but I'm working on my senior concert right now, um, and I'm developing a solo for it. It's about transient identity and what happens to the people that we used to be. Mm. Um, and then on the other hand, how we get to know ourselves once we go through a transformation, um, specifically in the aftermath of trauma. So it's still in development and I'm not sure where it's taking me yet, but it's definitely been one of the most important pieces I've done so far. Mm -hmm. um, so you said you did ballet. Uh, are there any other forms of dance you do? Is there any one particular form you feel more connected to? Yeah, so I've just started kind of branching out in high school. I did ballet for about 10 years, and then I started doing jazz, contemporary. Um, the program here is more modern-focused. Um, I would say, though I don't have as much formal training it, in it, my one of my favorite styles would be street jazz. Um, it's been a way for me to explore my relationship to femininity, uh, Yeah, and that's been really fun and em empowering and interesting. <laughs> Can you explain street jazz? Yeah, so it's like kind of a blend of jazz and hip-hop. It's done to like popular music. It's performed in places, sometimes on concert stages, like in clubs. Um, it's not so much a um, like a place, uh, like a style that you would see in a formal education setting. Plug yourself. Okay, <laughs> and your org, and okay, where people can follow you, stuff like that. Okay, um, oh my God, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> no, I know it's really hard to plug yourself, yeah. but you gotta do it. We're asking you. <laughs> okay, um, so I was talking about um, how I came to college, and I found. Um, people of color in the department. Um, one of the things we did is when we came together, we started actually having meetings to have those conversations because our schedules were all crazy. So we would go into the faculty offices, which are in a house on Gettys, and we would just go into the basement and we would talk about how we were feeling and what kind of changes we wanted to see in the department. Um, and it eventually grew into an official student org. We are now called Arts in Color. Um, and we do things like propose policy changes. We organize events with guest artists. We, um, we've hosted events with Harvard Street Dance Chicago in the past. We had an evening of performance with Dance Work Chicago and the Anishinaabe Theater Exchange last year. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a place for us to not only share what we're talking about, but also develop leadership skills so that we can make tangible changes for the department and the culture of um, arts, the arts on campus. Um, what else? Um, something else I've really found that I'm interested in is organizing. 
So I'm producing a showcase this year called A World Beyond. It's a student choreography showcase, and the theme is world building, which is an arts activism technique where we ask the choreographers to imagine how can we build the world that we all want to live in. So we have um, pieces ranging from imposter syndrome to queer community building, um, and each choreographer has kind of got their unique take on um, how they want to see the world change. And if people want to get involved with Arts and Color, how can they do that? Um, so it's based in the dance department. Um, so our members are all dance majors, but we would love to have anyone come out to our show. It's on November 7th at 7.30 at the Lydia Mendelssohn Theater. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all that with us. We really appreciate it. And yeah, keep rocking out to your art. We love it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and with that, we're going to end this episode. So I know our creative color is at the end. Um, but our next episode will drop next Monday. Please like, subscribe, follow, Great. do all the things Share. to our podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, and don't forget to pass, pass the, the mic. mic.